Hello everyone and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show where I'm utterly thrilled to have Danica Remy in the studio with me. Fresh from California, co-founder of Asteroid Day and board director of the Asteroid Foundation. And most excitingly of all, I have in my hands right now as I speak to you a bit of an asteroid, an iron meteorite actually, in fact. So uh, it's very, very heavy. Always, always surprisingly heavy when I hold, get the chance to hold one of these things from outer space. It's just, I mean... Danica, thank you so much for bringing this in because it's made my morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, I'm just thrilled. Now, obviously, you're here because of Asteroid Day. And I'd like to ask you, first of all, to tell us what's coming up with Asteroid Day. When is Asteroid Day even? Asteroid Day is next week. And we have a whole series of programs that um, start on Tuesday and go all the way through Saturday. Yeah, there's so much going on here in Luxembourg. First of all, you've got something at Silver Square Liberté, the co-working space. Why spend money on asteroid research and missions? That's on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, you've got a technical briefing at Arendt House. Then you've got the Space Café again at Arendt House. And on Thursday, we've got Asteroid Day, the 30th of June. Asteroid Day Live. Asteroid Day Live, of From course. From RTL. That's true. Of course, of course, of course. And then, yeah, it goes on at the ICT Spring. You've got the Space Forum. And then you've got astronauts inspiring the new generation at Tramshap on the Friday. So much to look forward to. We're thrilled to be here. We've got a really big program. We've got a lot of fantastic guests coming in from all around the world and across the EU arena and, you know, local folks here in Luxembourg who are doing really amazing things as we think about how we're going to move out into our solar system, um, become a spacefaring nation, understand how we can utilize some resources in the future from space. And so we're always thrilled to, you know, put together Asteroid Day Live and bring all these remarkable people um, to this country and be able to highlight the people in Luxembourg who are really leading this exciting new race to space. So we're thrilled to have the program that we're putting together. And we hope that people will watch Asteroid Day live at asteroidday.org. We start broadcasting at 11 o'clock on June 30th, which is Asteroid Day. Asteroid Day was created to celebrate the anniversary of the largest asteroid impact um, in recorded history, which happened in 1908 in Tunguska. And it wiped out an area about the size of the Los Angeles basin. Luckily, there were no people there, but people across Europe felt the shockwave and the heat wave that came from that asteroid impact. And while asteroids do occasionally hit our home planet, they're also really exciting objects for us to go visit, um, to utilize their resources, probably primarily water to start, because most people don't realize that the water in the glass that I'm holding here in the studio actually came from an asteroid. Um, yeah, so, you're right. Most people would not know that. <laughs> that's right. Most people wouldn't know that. Um and asteroids um, are also going to tell us about the origins of our life on this home planet. So a couple of interesting space missions and their scientists will be here for Asteroid Day Live, have been to asteroids and have brought back samples and are starting to analyze what is, what are the ingredients of an asteroid? What kind of elements exist? And it's very exciting. Just recently, they announced that they have found, you know, some of those ingredients of life. And they're just starting to write the research papers about it. And they'll help to start educate the public about how asteroids actually help make you and me be here today. Right. Well, let's just go back a little bit. Can we just start at the very, very basic level of telling our audience 
what an asteroid actually is. I'm pretty sure most people will know what an asteroid is, but you give us the absolute definition, the scientific definition. What is an asteroid? Well, I'm not a scientist, actually. I am a fan of the scientists. And so for me, it's really important to have scientists talking to the public and educating about the public. But the basics are that when Big Bang happened, the Big Bang, the sort of creation of our solar system, asteroids are the remnants of that that moment. And so there's millions and millions and millions of them swirling around our solar system. And they're made up of many different things. So the one I brought today that you're holding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am literally fondling. holding. Yeah, a fondling. Yeah. <laughs> I am, I love it. It's, so, it's obviously it, been fondled by many people because it's very soft. Well, it is soft. I mean, but so, I mean, I, when I say soft, the edges have been worn down a little bit. Yes, the edges were worn down actually because it was iron. And as it entered our atmosphere oh, it's burned. heated up <laughs> and it got really smooth as it was sailing very, very fast um, through our atmosphere before it hit the ground. Mm. That particular asteroid was attached to the asteroid that blew up over a place in Arizona that's now called Meteor Crater. And so it was about a 45-meter asteroid that blew up, didn't actually hit the ground, exploded in the air, and made this amazingly wonderful hole that you can go visit in Flagstaff, Arizona, called Meteor Crater. And so that's a Canyon Diablo meteorite. But meteorites come in all different forms. Some of them have beautiful glassy structures in them that are like looking at a piece of jewelry. Others are what they call carbonaceous, so kind of granular, almost sandy pieces of rock. And one of the favorite things that I learned when I first started spending time with people who work in this area of asteroids is that they call asteroids sometimes dust bunnies loosely held together by gravity. Oh, my God. Well, they're not loosely held together. Well, that one's an iron one. So some, <laughs> so think of like a lot of gravel flying through space held together by gravity. Yeah. So you actually can't... It, you. They, the hypothesis, you won't be able to land on it because there's no there there. It's not really <laughs> held together all that well. So now there's the thing. We probably have heard, and I certainly do know, there's a lot of research going on into asteroids at the moment for all of the reasons you've previously mentioned. They might be a source of water in outer space, help life in space one day, etc. But they are moving I was going to say objects, they're moving entities, moving entities of dust <laughs> or some conglomerated dust in some ways. So tell us about the research going on. I know Patrick Michel is one of these advocates and he's working hard on it. They are going to land on an asteroid. How are they going to do that? Well, so JAXA, the Japanese space agency, actually already landed on an asteroid, not once, but twice. Mm-hmm. They had one mission, Hayabusa 1, and they just completed another mission called Hayabusa 2. And so they didn't land on the asteroid because of the, the gravity problem. There's very light gravity, and they're unsure about the surface of, of the asteroid. So what Hayabusa 2 did was they basically shot a projectile into the asteroid and then scooped up <laughs> um, the projectiles from the uh, tail, ex- uh, the ex- explosion, and then put it into their spacecraft, brought it back, and delivered it to the Australian outback. And that's where that's really our first and best set of fantastic asteroid samples for us to be doing research. The second mission that's underway and is on their way back to our home planet is called Osiris Rex. And they had a different technique for collecting their sample. They basically made a big vacuum. 
And so it had a long arm and they took the vacuum, it was called tag, and got it near the surface and then blew air and then sucked up the asteroid remnants, the regolith, as it's called, into the vacuum, and then they put it into their spacecraft. And that that space mission will land at the next year, 2024. So we'll learn even more from, that's a different asteroid than the asteroid that the Japanese visited. And these are really exciting missions, and we are going to learn so much about what asteroids are and what they actually mean for our life on our home planet. So it's a very exciting time for science. And you've spent a career really working in this field. So tell us a little bit more about you and how you got into this space arena. Well, I never thought I would be in this arena. Um, I've been working in this field, specifically the asteroid field, for the last uh, nine years. And I got into it because I was friends with one of the co-founders of Asteroid Day, Rusty Schweikart, who is Apollo 9 astronaut. And so, you know, we'd been friends for a long time. And, and when he said he was retiring, he asked if, you know, I might consider coming to help run the organization that he started. And so that's how I got started in this world of asteroids. I'm not a scientist, as I said, but I do know how to build things and I know how to build businesses and organizations and programs. And so I've been thrilled to be able to be really a student for the last you know, 10 years in this new emerging area of science called asteroid, asteroid research and asteroid missions and the exciting new space field. And before that, I was um, primarily in the technology field. So, you know, I feel quite comfortable with engineers and scientists and what have you. And and before that, I worked with Fortune 100 companies helping them do something called scenario planning. So I've had a very varied degree of jobs over the course of my life. I've always felt like the important thing to do is to follow an idea that interests you. I like to say that it's really important to always be a teacher and always be a learner. And remember that whoever you meet, you can teach them something and you can learn something from them. And so I wandered into the asteroid world because I was curious. And so here I am talking to you about Asteroid Day oh, well, here in Luxembourg. And you have learned so much. I mean, I didn't know before I met you that you were not a superb expert in asteroids. But tell us more about Rusty, the astronaut, your friend, why he has such a fascination with asteroids. Well, Rusty is a really interesting person. And, you know, as an astronaut, you go to space and you see our home planet in a different way than, you know, most most people here have seen. I mean, there's about 550 people who've been to space. Space as in circling our home planet several times. I'm living on the space station. And he was early. He was Apollo 9, 1969 um, is when he flew. And, you know, he had an opportunity to really kind of think about the role that we as humans have um, with respect to being stewards of our home planet. And, you know, almost every astronaut that you talk to will talk about, you look at the home planet, it's a fragile island in the sea of our solar system, and there are no borders. And so Rusty is a very philosophical thinker, an articulate speaker. And so one of the things that he did was form an organization that's called the Association of Space Explorers, which is the club of people who've been to space. Um, and a, very club, a, very <laughs> a very elite club, a very elite club, very elite club. 
And through that work, he actually organized a committee to go to the United Nations to look at this question about the risk, asteroid risks and asteroid impacts, and what should we as human beings actually do about it, do about the asteroid risk question. And so it was a almost a 18-year-long process through the United Nations that helped educate the world about the potential risk for asteroid impacts. And that was all led by the Association of Space Explorers. So who better to know that we should, you know, get our act together? You know, mm-hmm. let's get to it. We can do something about deflecting an asteroid. That's actually the easier part. Knowing where the asteroids are is the harder part. And so, you know, Rusty has been thinking in, about this question of asteroids for, you know, a very, very long time and helped, along with the other ASE members, um, really start a global conversation. And when we created Asteroid Day, you know, we did it as a small group of four of us, um, Greg Richters, Dr. Brian May, the guitarist, lead guitarist from Queen, myself, and, and Rusty. You know, we thought, we need a day of education and awareness for the world. And so we launched it in 2014. And ASE, you know, helped us write the declaration that launched Asteroid Day called the 100X, which is essentially a call to action for us to accelerate the rate of discovery, right, so that we can learn more and protect our planet, learn more, (laughs) um, to learn more. So after we had created it in 2014, the Association of Space Explorers took our day to the United Nations. And then the United Nations then at that point recognized it as an international day of education and awareness about asteroids. Which is amazingly what you have succeeded in doing. When you were saying that one of your background career paths had been scenario planning, I was thinking that's something you seriously need to do well when you go to space. I bet they do a lot of that. Um, But just going back to a couple of other things you've said, what is the asteroid risk to Earth? Can you quantify that in any way? Well, um, you know, people who are listening, you don't need to worry about <laughs> it. It's not something to go to sleep worrying about. The, the world is large, largely covered by water, and largely unpopulated. And so, you know, I don't worry about the asteroid risk. I know that it will happen. We know that we will be hit. But it's not something we should collectively spend a lot of time worrying about. We should collectively support people who will find out where they are, where they're going to be in the future, and what we can do to deflect them once we know that one is, is coming. So the, the risk to you and I is very low. The risk to the planet is 100%. It is 100% sure that the Earth is going to get hit again. Mm-hmm. We just don't know where. And we don't or know when. which lifetime. <laughs> that's right. Or which lifetime. It could be in 200 years or it could be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's lovely. You did remind me, actually, as I saw this uh, meteorite, I once had the chance to go to Namibia and uh, they have a fair few meteorites there. I think possibly even the largest in the world on show there. Oh, really? In the capital. Yeah. But I mean, it's not surprising. In desert locations, you can see things more clearly. So, yeah, they are, they're more evident there. Um, they- would, one thing... I one thing that I would say also about Asteroid Day is when we created Asteroid Day, we actually modeled it after Earth Day. So, you know, the idea is that that anybody can host an Asteroid Day event. The global headquarters for Asteroid Day is here in Luxembourg, you know, and through the partnership at RTL and SES and the Luxembourg Space Agency and other um, supporters um, who enable our work here in Luxembourg, um, we broadcast out to the world really the authoritative, you know, sort of set of experts. Um, but all around the world, in, you know, across Africa, across South America, 
everywhere, there are hundreds and thousands of Asteroid Day events that have been celebrated in their own languages, in their own way, with their own experts. Yeah, there's all sorts of different workshops, different levels of expertise. Exactly. Everything from an astronomy club to a pizza pub. Yeah. To a university. <laughs> so any day, yeah. asteroid day is celebrated all around the world, in addition to here in Luxembourg. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And even with the Asteroid Day Live event that you have, you have those links. We always zoom out to those links in other parts of the world, which is, is just fabulous. Um, and then also going back to what you said about how to find them. That's not the easiest thing. So how do you look at space and find moving asteroids? So there's two ways. We would use land-based telescopes. And one of the the two most active asteroid hunting telescopes are PanSTAR in Hawaii and the Catalina Sky Survey in Arizona. Right now, they find about 2,000 new near-Earth. Let's make sure we say this, near-Earth, because we care about the asteroids that come near-Earth, not the ones who are out in the main belt Yeah. You, when you saw Star Wars and they were going <laughs> through the asteroid belt, okay? Yeah. We don't care about those out there. We yeah. care about the ones that come near-Earth. Mm-hmm. So the two... Two main asteroid hunters right now are Catalina's Sky Survey and PanSTARS. ESA has a new telescope that'll be coming on called FlyEye. There's another set called Atlas. And then really the big one that's going to make a a big dent in the number of asteroids that we're able to track and find is called Vera Rubin, the first major observatory named after a woman that's located in Chile, formerly called LSST. LSST is going to be the largest survey of our solar system and our universe to date. And so it goes live in 2023. And that telescope will dwarf all of the asteroid discoveries, near-Earth asteroid discoveries and that we've done to date. So today we know where 28,000 near-Earth asteroids are, but there's more than 3 million that we actually need to find. That's a lot of near-Earth asteroids. It is. So we don't know a lot. We know about 1% of the near-Earth asteroids. And so that's why when we created Asteroid Day, we thought the most important thing to do was to accelerate the rate of asteroid discovery. So you can look for asteroids on the ground through telescopes. And then um, really the best way to find them would be in space, where you don't have to worry about the sun, where you can have Earth's orbit always in your view and not have to deal with the weather um, and the atmosphere. Um, So there's a proposed space mission called the NEO survey that NASA is trying to fund. You know, there's other technologies that will come along in the next few years that will enable us to, you know, maybe do missions at a cheaper, less expensive manner because technology is accelerating at such a rapid pace. And the cost of going out into space is declining rapidly as we have all these amazing new space companies, which Luxembourg, of course, has got so many of, you know, the Luxembourg government and the, the space ecosystem is growing rapidly here, which is really very exciting. So the two ways are land and space, and we don't have a, an asteroid hunting space-based telescope right now. Yeah, I mean, doesn't it make sense to just have a sort of a satellite out there with a an asteroid-seeking telescope on it? Mm-hmm. Or maybe many. Yeah, but yeah. What, what, I mean, that doesn't seem like... It's, a, simply, like, it's a simply a matter of funding okay. and priorities. And so this is one of those examples where, where we always like to say to folks... The whole world doesn't need to worry about this problem, and only a few people need to do the work to solve the problem, but we need people to support it. So it's talking to your government and saying, asteroid research is important, planetary defense research is important, a planetary demonstration mission is important. So that's where the public can help, which is say, I care about this, I'm excited about it, I'm worried about it. 
hey, government, university, or, you know, my local school, let's let's do something. Let's teach it or support it. Yeah, because it does seem kind of obvious to put a telescope on a satellite in space, given everything yeah. that you've just said. Yeah. And then the next part of it, when you find one of these, I think you said something like three million near-Earth asteroids that's coming a bit too close to Earth, how do you deflect them? Well, so that's kind of the the fun part of this whole thing. So Bruce Willis does not need to apply to help deflect an asteroid. I don't know if you've ever watched Armageddon, but we don't need Bruce Willis. So there's three ways that the scientists generally, the majority of the scientists generally agree. The first one is called a kinetic impactor. I mean, that's where you take a small spacecraft and you crash it into an asteroid, like you're playing billiards. Mm -hmm. NASA, um, the U.S. Space Agency, actually has a mission on its way to an asteroid. And later this year, we'll be doing a technology demonstration mission, exactly that, smashing into an asteroid and seeing if it moves. And then the European Space Agency will arrive about two years later with the HERA mission to do a lot of imaging and measurement of that. So that's number one. Of that collision and how it's moving. Yeah. I love the time differences here. Two years later, they'll pop along and and take a few photos. They had hoped that they would go together, actually, Um, but because of funding on the side of the pond. Oh, no. They didn't go together. Oh, bugger. Um, Yeah. But and this is this is where it's really important for the public to say to the politicians and, you know, to speak up and say, I want this kind of work to be funded. So one is a kinetic impactor. The second one is called a gravity tractor. It's invented by one of the speakers who's coming to Asteroid Day, Dr. Ed Liu. And it's a very simple concept, which is you have an asteroid, you take a spacecraft near it, small spacecraft. These don't need to be big. The the one that's smashing into the asteroid later this year is small. It's not a huge, it's not a huge satellite or spacecraft. So the gravity tractor is the second technique. So you take a small spacecraft, you put it near an asteroid, and the gravity between the two objects, you can slowly tug the asteroid into a different orbit. Even with a small object? Even with a small object, because you only need to move it a tiny bit to get it to miss Earth. Because remember, everything is moving in our solar system Mm -hmm. at the same time. So if you get there early enough, you just need to move it into a just slightly different location. And then the third one is, and nobody wants to do this for a lot of reasons, is you would put a nuclear device on a spacecraft, and then you would go to the asteroid, and you would not blow up the asteroid, but you would detonate the spacecraft near the asteroid, and then the energy, the force of the energy would push it. That one, we don't know a lot about the physics. And so that's why the scientists advocate for us to find the asteroid's early so we have enough time to use the deflection technique of either a kinetic impactor or a gravity tractor or both of them together. So it really is about asteroid discovery, which is why we launched Asteroid Day with a call to action that we need to accelerate the rate of discovery, both for, you know, for research purposes, but also for planetary defense purposes. Because if you don't know where they are, you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And just when you mentioned the UN, the UN also have an outer space and planetary defense uh, I think I can't remember the precise title of it but I know the UN have a section that looks at space and outer space. Um yeah, so it's the Committee for Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, COPUS. Yeah. Peaceful use. Yes. And so how does the UN view all of this and what is the UN's view on space itself really and how we should be as citizens thinking about space and living in our space? Well, that's a big question. 
Um, I would say that the UN uh, has been a really big supporter of, of planetary defense in particular, but also, you know, sort of negotiating the evolving world of space technology as it relates to individual countries. And, you know, the International Space Station has been, you know, our best and greatest example of international cooperation across borders. And I think it's everyone's hope that we can continue to, you know, keep space a peaceful place. What a lot of people don't recognize about space that I didn't truly appreciate before I um, stepped into the work that I do today is that, you know, a lot of what we're learning about our home planet from our air to our water, to our water tables, to human migration, to illegal fishing, all of that is brought to us by this emerging new space economy for the satellites that are circling our home planet in what's called low Earth orbit. Mm -hmm. And so space is bringing us a lot of really amazing things. And for people from Luxembourg, as you probably know, I mean, SES was really the first uh, company to put up a satellite and start delivering communications all around the world. I mean, SES was a trendsetter. And they were very, very early, you know, the earliest of innovators. And now we have thousands and thousands of satellites circling our home planet that deliver us the internet, who are monitoring the earth or looking for methane for following boats in waters where they shouldn't be fishing illegally. When there's wars in various countries, and you can start to see the, the footprints of, of human migration of people having to leave satellites, and the space industry is as important for us to protect our home planet in many other ways besides just asteroid impacts. And I think the public doesn't always know that. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of talk about going to space and why would you go to space? But the fact is, is that space is actually helping us be better custodians of our home planet and helping us advance our ability to communicate to each other and share knowledge. So to me, the space industry is incredibly exciting. And I, I can't even imagine what it'll look like in 30 or 40 years. But I know Luxembourg's going to be leading some of that innovation. <laughs> Danica, you've said it all. I don't know what else to add to that. But you're right about the satellites. They're an incredible monitoring device. They can see so much that we're completely unaware of. And they can see things in a completely different time span and geographical way to what we can see from Earth from space, as you were describing before. Danica, we're so excited about Asteroid Day. We're delighted to be hosting it here from RTL Studios and BCE and SES. There's so many partners involved. You're right, Luxembourg is really booming when it comes to space and space research and space resources. The which, International Space Masters Programme. Yes, and, at the you university. Know, the, the satellite work that they're doing at SNT yeah. and... Yeah, it is definitely a hub of innovation happening right now. It's really yeah. exciting for anybody here who wants to work in space. And like you said, it's a booming economy to come. So in the next 10, 20, 30 years, who knows what it will look like. But Danica, meanwhile, best of luck with the final days of organisation before Asteroid Day. We're so looking forward to it and we can't wait to meet all of the great speakers that you have lined up for us. Great. Thank you. The Lisa Burke Show. 